love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by gaslight, and of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Episode 300. Shit, that's a lot of episodes. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities i don't know what excites me more the fact that you got uh, a, a warning from facebook for violating their community standards practices or the reason why you received that warning yeah i've i've never uh had one of those notifications before i've never had a warning that i was going against community standards so i was a little taken aback myself my sweet kind precious wife has been warned by facebook it's true what what was it that that you posted i called someone a smelly pirate hooker you called someone a smelly pirate hooker it was all in good fun are they a smelly pirate hooker? No. Was it right to call him a smelly pirate hooker? Yes, and I appealed it, and they <laughs> haven't gotten back to me. I don't even know what this conversation was about. But the fact that the phrase smelly pirate hooker got you in trouble with the Facebook police is hilarious <laughs> to me. Shut I love shut it. it. Well, happy 300th episode. Happy 300 to you. We spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. discussing back and forth what type of special episode that we would create. Celebratory. uh, For our 300th. And uh, after much discussion, we, we we came up with nothing. Yeah, we didn't uh, we didn't come up with anything at all. No, so we thought uh, there was some talk very early on about like maybe we should have party or something, but that's really not an option anymore. And then we thought, well, what if we hosted a party but we didn't invite anyone because that would be safe. Uh, and then I. I got really into that idea because I thought we could have it catered still. Uh And I was like, can you imagine one of those big trays of mac and cheese, but just for us? And it was it was a really good idea. And and you could write on it. Happy 300th. Yeah. In in, hot sauce. In hot sauce. (laughs) Why didn't we do this? I know. I know. We it snuck up. It anyway, snuck up on us. anyway, we 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 didn't really do anything. We're we're sorry. Um, We'll make it up to you somehow. I mean. Did you do anything (laughs) for our 300? I mean, you know. (laughs) Well, I got a story for you. Will that help? Uh, Yes, I like that. Okay. All right. For two decades, 
Between 1890 and 1910, an unexplained darkness arrived in the town of Black River Falls, Wisconsin. Black River Falls had been a pleasant, growing small town in the Midwest, but then the mines and the lumber industries that helped uh, support that area shut down, and it left people unemployed, and it also caused the banks to fail. The winter's cold and dark, and there was much talk about witchcraft and devil worship happening, because there's not much to do in the winter in Wisconsin. Might as well worship the devil. Were they worshiping the devil, or were they talking about people worshiping the devil? It was just kind of neighborhood scuttlebutt. Scuttlebutt, yeah. 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 Diseases spread, and horror and misfortune plagued the small community in a way that that many residents had never experienced before. In this 20-year period, residents of Black River Falls succumbed to a downward spiral of suicide, murder, destruction, and darkness. So it starts this way. In the early 1890s, diphtheria ran amok. And I never understood that phrase, running amok. I don't know. It was a diphtheria epidemic, and it ran wild. Uh, through Black River Falls. As a result, many children died, and that caused the schools to close. And to stop the disease from spreading, citizens burned the schoolhouse to the ground, as well as any other house in the area that had people with diseases in it who had passed away. Okay. This, in turn, caused a great deal of despair, and due to the grief and panic caused by the deadly illness, there were many murders and suicides. So that's off to a good start. Well, it sounds like it, everything kind of feeds off of each other. Like, the you know, the the worse that the yep, failures of their crops are, the more upset people are, and the money problems come in, and then you're sad, and then you're angry, and then you need money, so you steal, and then things are stolen, so you're mad. Well, as if that's not bad enough, right about this time, a traveling group of hobos showed up, about 50 of them. They invaded the Sheldon farm, which was on the outskirts of the town, and uh, decapitated 18 of the owner's chickens. That doesn't sound like hobo behavior. Well, these were rowdy hobos, allegedly. The farmer, believing that Satan had taken control of his property, uh, burned the, the farm to the ground. Oh. Because of these hobos uh, cutting the heads off his chickens. Maybe it was just fishers. We had a problem with fishers. No, these were hobos. These were chicken decapitating hobos. The hobos then went into the woods and ate the chickens while the farmhouse was burning. You think they would have stuck around, had a barbecue. Soon after that, a young boy named Nestor, Nestor Provencher, mysteriously became mute. This sounds like the plot to the movie The Witch. (laughs) I never thought about that. It does kind of resemble that. So he he just stops talking for four months. Um, Medical examiners believe the boy was under some sort of hypnotic trance or a spell. Yes, doctors. It's probably a spell. Nestor remained essentially mute for four months until the uh, trance broke. And then, you know, he was fine. But for four months, he was freaking everybody out because for no reason that they could determine, Mm. he just stopped talking. This on top of the hobos decapitating chickens and, you know, the houses and schools being burned down, it's a lot to deal with yeah, in a small Yeah, there's a lot town. going on. So Mary Sweeney, she was a former school teacher, and she ran away from her husband and also used cocaine liberally. She, she said that uh, it quieted her nerves. She was known throughout the state as the Wisconsin window smasher. 
<laughs> oh. She destroyed over $50,000 worth of glass windows in this area. This was just her thing? She'd get all hopped up and break yep. windows? Yep. All right. She'd lean into the Peruvian marching powder and then smash some glass. Sweeney was jailed more than 100 times and eventually was sent to an asylum. For glass smashing? For glass smashing. That's all she did. She'd just get blasted on blow and smash windows. Again, maybe there just wasn't much to do in Black River Falls in those days. Maybe she just liked the sound. And the sound it, of the smashing glass? Yeah, I mean, I get that. There's sometimes weird know. sounds that I'm like, okay, why? I, I need to hear that again. Hmm. Then there's the story of 13-year-old John Anderson. He ran away from home with his 10-year-old brother. He then proceeded to shoot the owner of a farm, point blank. He just shot a farmer in the face. At 13? At 13. Then the boys moved into the deceased farmer's house until the farmer's brother wandered by a few days later. Now, the younger of the boys confessed to his crime, but 13-year-old John Anderson took off. He led law enforcement on a rather lengthy manhunt. An officer was killed during the chase. Oh, my gosh. But Anderson eventually was caught and sentenced to life in prison at 13. Was he also on coke? Because... (laughs) That seems like real shitty behavior. Yeah, no, no, no. It's probably devil worship, sweetie. I've known some people on Coke who I think might be in cahoots with the devil. <laughs> um, well, it, it is a drug that steals one's soul. It is, not, <laughs> it is not good. No. Shortly after that, a 60-year-old woman had a, had a sore back, and she was feeling around on her back, and she found a small sore. She believed it was cancer, and she was afraid that it would kill her. So she tried to remove it herself. Mm-hmm. Yep. By dousing herself in kerosene and then going out into the backyard and setting herself on fire. It's better than doing it inside. I suppose. Yeah. No, I get that. I've got that bump on my forehead and I couldn't stop messing with it the other day. And you were like, you need to stop messing with that. And I was like, would you be opposed to me like just cutting open my forehead? And you're like, put down the razor. That That is true. And she said, no, I just, I just needed to hear somebody tell me I shouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't like things that I can't figure out like what's that lump i'm not good at that. <laughs> i'm not good at that so i get this lady i'm on board so all this weird crap's going wait, on wait did she live oh no 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 oh. she burned to death i'm sorry about that shortly after that a mrs john larson the wife of another local farmer believed that devils were after her multiple multiple devils so she took her three children to the lake and drowned them one by one oh, in, in uh, Lake St. Croix. John, her husband, um, was only able to recover the bodies of two of his children. One was never found. So is this just becoming like a mass hysteria kind of situation where people are just freaking out? It seems to me like some bad shit happened of natural design mm-hmm. or natural cause, the uh, diphtheria uh, right. epidemic, and it triggered a series of things and then I don't know. Sometimes when people dwell on negative things, it affects them in a negative way. And negative thought attracts negative things. Do you think Mothman had something to do with it? You think Mothman has something to do with everything. This might be Mothman. So let's go back to the banks collapsing. After they collapsed, another distraught farmer decided to take his own life. His name was 
Chris Wald, W-O-L-D. But he didn't, he did not kill himself with traditional methods of the time. Okay. Like hanging oneself Mm -hmm. or maybe shooting oneself. What Wald did was he dug a hole in the ground. Then he placed dynamite into the hole and stuck his head in the opening and lit the fuse and blew his head off. Okay. These are dark days. Indeed. It, I mean, maybe he didn't feel like he had other options that he knew would work. I know there's a time many years ago where I was distressed because I had hit a deer with my car. Mm-hmm. And I don't react well to those kinds of situations. Right, right. And so I was outside of my car uh, looking at this animal who had not perished immediately, um, trying to figure out how I could ease his pain. And while screaming at the top of my lungs, I considered spraying him in the face with mace. The mind does weird things the at times. The mind does weird of, things. Of stress. And I was like, oh, yeah, wait, that that won't do shit for him. Well, it'll make things much, much worse, I think. Talk about getting insult to injury. Well, I didn't do it. I'm glad you didn't. I was just, I I had a moment and then I went, well, that's dumb. Why would I even consider that as an option? I think it was just one of the weapons that I had in my car. And I was thinking, what can I do with the things I have available to me now? You didn't have any spiky knuckle things. Well, what would that do? Not much. Nothing. No. I had a very small jackknife, mace, and a bag of, now that's what I call music CDs. (laughs) That will kill anybody, given enough time. Um, So... Then there was a weird two-day period where this uh, yet another hobo, an out-of-luck man, uh, was given food and shelter at the Wright family's house. That's W-R-I-G-H-T, Wright family house, Um, when one of the children just casually referred to him as a tramp. And he flew into a rage, attacked them, ransacked the house looking for money. Again, this is not very hobo-like. No. I guess hobos come in all stripes. So he killed the whole family and then fled from the house, wandered into a pond, and then shot himself. How do you, you know, if you're in law enforcement in this town during this this period of time, how do you get any rest? It's not a big town. It's probably one, two cops at the time. Mm. And every time you go home... Somebody's either burning a school down or being killed by a hobo. Again, not the behavior that we see as typical of hobos. Oh, there's some very nice hobos. They're just trying to get home. They're homeward bound. All right, back to the weird stuff. Uh, 15-year-old Lydia Berger set fire to her father's barn and house. The reason was... She had snuck away to go to a carnival against her father's wishes, and he was mad at her, and so he punished her, and to seek revenge, she burned the house and the barn down. A kind neighbor took her and her family in to their house. Mm -hmm. She promptly burned his house down, too. Oh, no. Then she ran away, but in the process... Burned several more buildings to the ground. She was later apprehended and confessed to the arson. This was all because, well, I'm sure it was much deeper than just her being caught sneaking off to a carnival. There, right. there was obviously something going on there, but that is what spurred, spurred the events. Spurred the events on. 
Well, maybe she was at the carnival and was agitated by a boy who wouldn't leave her alone until she agreed to go on a date with him. That sounds remarkably specific. Did, this didn't happen to you, did it, by any chance? No. No, it's the notebook. Oh! <laughs> I knew it sounded familiar. <laughs> then there was a, the naked body of a housewife found on the side of the road approximately six miles outside of town. She just wandered away from her home and froze to death. Oh, Authorities believe that she may have also starved prior to succumbing to the elements. So she was just wandering around and dying. That's terrible. And finally, Mrs. Sarah Smith died, was buried. But there was suspicion among some of the town folk that there was some sort of botched funerary procedure. And this led to an investigation at the Rosedale Cemetery. Okay. So they exhumed Sarah Smith and it was discovered that she had accidentally been buried alive while in some some sort of a trance or coma-like state. (gasps) Um, Her body was found partially on its side and the hand was positioned toward the face. Reportedly, she had bitten her fingers off and it's believed this occurred when she realized what her fate was. She couldn't do anything other than bite her fingers off Maybe thinking that would help hurry along the death process. Maybe she would bleed to, I I don't know, but yep, they found her. It doesn't seem like there was a lot of thought put into that. Maybe it was just like a nail biting gone out of control. Way out of control. Most of this information comes from Ranker in a 1973 book published by Michael Lessie called Wisconsin Death Trip. He collected uh, photographs from a Charles Van Shake who between 1890 and 1910 took pictures of the locals. Many of these people mentioned there are photographs of them. He also collected newspaper clippings from the same time. That's incredible. The book was then adapted into a uh, documentary with the same title in 1999. The title, once again, being The Wisconsin Death Trip. That was rough. Some bad things happened. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Yes, sir. That was a tough couple of decades. Oof. And now, that thing in the middle. Today's thing in the middle, inspired by breath-freshening goodness, <laughs> it's weird Tic Tac flavors. <laughs> yeah, this is odd because they're supposed to make your breath fresh, right? Okay. Number five, donut. <laughs> That's right. Your breath can be as fresh as a Boston cream-filled donut. <clears throat> Number four, Coca-Cola. I've heard that it really tastes like Coke, too, so fresh. Star anus. No, wait. Is that uh, star anise? Star star anise. That sounds like it would smell much fresher. Cardamom. What's that? You might find it in Indian food. That's not exactly my go-to for breath freshening. The only podcast that once shot a man for snoring too loud and wound up a New York sports writer. This is The Box of Oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids, and they live about 3,000 miles away, and my daughter is expecting a child, and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. 
And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura frames, and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code oddities at checkout. And you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some Fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings. While kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Support for The Box of Oddities is provided in part by listeners like you on Patreon. You can support us too. Go to patreon.com slash box of oddities. Thank you. The Box of Oddities 
with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. We got this email from Jim. This morning I listened to Box 79, and when I heard the topic Jethro was doing on the Titanic, I thought about my family's story. And when he started off with Elon and Pekka's story, it brought a smile to my face. I believe Pekka was either an uncle or cousin to my grandfather. Ooh. but. I wanted to also tell you about my grandma Lillian and that her father came to the United States to earn enough money to bring his wife, three sons, and two daughters over from Finland. He got them tickets for the Titanic. So a mother and five kids set off to England to board a ship, but luckily they arrived late and missed the ship's movement and had to exchange their tickets for the next ship. I remember my grandma telling me and my sisters this story when we were kids. Glad they missed it, or I may not exist. Wow. That is such a cool story. (laughs) At least not in this particular timeline. Thanks, Jim. (laughs) We appreciate you reaching out to us. And now with a sly smirk on my face, a cold beverage in my hand, (laughs) I lean back in my chair with a knowing look and say, what you got for me? Today we're going to talk about Arthur Ignatius Conan Doyle. He was born in 1859 in Scotland. The Doyles were a prosperous Irish Catholic family. And in 1864, the family scattered about because Arthur's father was becoming a pretty heavy-duty alcoholic and wasn't able to take care of the family. So the kids were kind of housed across Scotland. Arthur ended up staying with the aunt of a friend named Mary Burton while studying at Newington Academy. Now, yes, we're going to talk about Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. The Sherlock Holmes guy. The Sherlock Holmes guy. But I don't think that you, I mean, what I need for you to do is hold on to your buns. Okay. Okay, because you don't even know what you don't know about this shit. (laughs) Let us commence our journey. And our butt holding. (laughs) (laughs) I'm holding the butt right now. All right. So after Arthur's father died, he was supported by wealthy family and sent to school in England. He went on to Stonyhurst College, where he attended until 1875. Years later, he wrote, Perhaps it was good for me that times were hard, for I was wild, full-blooded, and a trifle reckless. <laughs> but the situation called for energy and application, so that one was bound to try to meet it. My mother had been so splendid that I could not fail her. Which I just think That's, is the most wonderful thing that anyone's ever said. That is like the sweetest thing ever. Yeah, well, you just wait. <laughs> Buns holding, okay, sir. Okay, all right. He wrote his mom a lot, and he practiced sports, and he realized that he had a talent for storytelling. From 1875 to 1876, he was educated at a Jesuit school in Austria. His family decided that he would spend a year there in order to perfect his German. And then from 1876 to 1881, he studied medicine at the University of Edinburgh. He trained as a doctor. Holy crap. I didn't realize that he... uh... That he almost got into the medical practice. Listen, oh. you don't know shit. This is nuts. He was a ship surgeon on the SS Mayomba during a voyage to the West African coast. Wow. He studied practical botany at the Royal Botanic Garden in Edinburgh and later set up a medical practice in Plymouth and later Portsmouth. When Arthur Conan Doyle obtained his Bachelor of Medicine and Mastery of Surgery degree. He drew a funny little sketch of himself getting a diploma with the caption, License to Kill. 
Ah, okay. Which much later on would become the tagline for James Bond. So his first published piece was set in South Africa. He had just taken that boat. I say taken that boat like he was on the friggin' Jungle Cruise. Sorry. Um, And on September of 1879, he published his first academic article, Gelsimium as Poison, in the British Medical Journal. Doyle was also the doctor on the Greenland whaler Hope of Peterhead in 1880. In 1882, in Portsmouth, Doyle joined the Portsmouth Association Football Club, which was founded in 1883. At that time, football was in its very early roots, and so it was played for fun and honors rather than money or compensation. Either way, he played as a goalkeeper uh, under the pseudonym A.C. Smith. He was a really good soccer player, Wow! basically. In August of 1885, he married a young woman named Louisa Hawkins, the sister of one of his patients. And in 1886, he started writing the novel, which got his fame. At first, it was named A Tangled Skein, and the two main characters were called Sheraton Hope and Ormond Sacker. (laughs) (laughs) Two years later, this novel was published under the title A Study in Scarlet, which introduced to us Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, not Sheraton Hope and Ormond Sacker. Okay, all right. I think that that was wise. On a, on a train it's, ride. It's important to rewrite your work, kids. <laughs> right? On a train ride to Berlin in 1890, Doyle met Sir Malcolm Morris, who in some sources I found was called Vernon Morris. I don't know. A London dermatologist. He encouraged Doyle to study ophthalmology in Vienna. So Doyle went to Vienna to learn ophthalmology. But he did find it hard to understand the German medical terms being used in his classes. So he quit his studies there, but stayed a couple months with his wife ice skating. And then he wrote (laughs) The Doings of Raffles Haw. (laughs) Wow. Wow. He was a renaissance man. (laughs) A sequel to A Study in Scarlet was commissioned, and The Sign of the Four appeared in Lippincott's magazine in February of 1890. We used to have a bookstore downtown called W.J. Lippincott's. Oh, yes. And I loved that store. It was a great store, but I also just really loved the name. And a friend of mine and I would drive downtown, and then we'd uh, uh, mm, we'd be W. J. Lippincott. Mm. Oh, and, um, oh, 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 W. J. Lippincott. Would you like a smoothie? Let's go get <laughs> smoothies. Lippincott's. Mm. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's amazing to me it took Facebook this long to warn you. To Fuck g- off, you smelly pirate hooker. <laughs> Anyway, short stories featuring Sherlock Holmes were published in the Strand magazine at this, after this point. Uh, Doyle wrote the first five Holmes short stories from his ophthalmology office, which actually <laughs> didn't do well. Mm. Um, so he had time to write five uh, Sherlock Holmes short stories. In 1891, he wrote to his mother, I think of slaying Holmes and winding him up for good and for all. It, he takes my mind from better things. And his mother responded, you won't, you can't, you mustn't. (laughs) Did she say it like W.J. Lippincott would? You won't, you can't, you mustn't. (laughs) So in an effort to get publishers to stop wanting Sherlock Holmes stories, Mm -hmm. he 
blew up his prices. It was outrageous what he was asking for Sherlock Holmes stories. Because he didn't want to write them anymore. That's right. But they were willing to pay it. No kidding. So that's how he became one of the best paid authors of all time is just because he did not want to do it. He thought that his other works were much better. He was kind of resentful that Sherlock Holmes was getting all this attention when he liked his other stories much better. So then in 1893, Doyle moved to Switzerland, where he helped to popularize skiing. (laughs) What? He was the first Englishman to document the thrill of skiing. He said, getting as near to flying as any earthbound man can. In that glorious air, it is a delightful experience. And he predicted that soon Switzerland would be very popular for ski season, which he coined as a thing. So, doctor, surgeon, ophthalmologist, botanist, Mm -hmm. best-selling author, soccer player, ski enthusiast. This guy had a great life. (laughs) So then in December, to dedicate more of his time to historical novels, Doyle offed Holmes, even though his mom said not to. It was right around this time, too, that Louisa was diagnosed with tuberculosis, she wasn't doing well, but she she stayed on for some time. Then when the Boer War started, mm-hmm. Conan Doyle declared to his horrified family that he was going to volunteer. He was overweight, he was 40, and he was deemed unfit to enlist. But instead, he volunteered as a medical doctor and sailed to Africa to help those who were being affected by the war. Because at 40, who doesn't want to volunteer to go to war? By this time, people in the public were pissed about Sherlock Holmes having died. Uh, By the way, spoiler alerts for Sherlock Holmes books. If you're not prepared for it, don't keep listening. (laughs) Um, So in 1901, Doyle featured Holmes in The Hounds of Baskervilles. We call him Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, um, and that's because King Edward VII knighted him for services rendered to the crown during the Boer War. Oh. But it's said that the king was such an avid Sherlock Holmes fan that he (laughs) actually put the author's name on the honors list to encourage him to write more stories. I see. For him to read about Sherlock Holmes. So I I always thought it was because of his authoring, not his his Boer Wars surgery stuff. (laughs) Nope. Uh, By the way, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a keen cricketer, and between 1899 and 1907, he played 10 first-class matches for the Marylebone Cricket Club. He also played for amateur cricket teams alongside J.M. Barry, P.G. Woodhouse, and A.A. Milne. No kidding. Wow. That's a a literary cricket powerhouse. Right. I wonder if they had clever, like, author-related... Team names. Nicknames? Like the uh, Rough Riders, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? <laughs> well, that's amazing. I know. So quick. Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> Doyle ran for parliament in Edinburgh in 1900. And in 1901, uh, it was not a successful run for parliament, by the way. And in 1901, he was one of three judges for the world's first major bodybuilding competition. Wait, wait. What were his credentials for that? He was very interested in bodybuilding. Okay. Yeah. He ran for public office again in 1906. And although he received respectable votes both times, he was not elected. People were still pissed about him killing off Sherlock. I guess. 
Um, unfortunately, Louisa died in his arms on the 4th of July, 1906. And the next year, after nine years of clandestine courtship, he married Jean Leckie. Now, it's said that he had met Jean nine years before and that he instantly fell in love with her, but was never once throughout Louisa's nine-year tuberculosis struggle, never once unfaithful to her. Wow. That he just eyed this other girl and was like, okay, well, I'll just wait then. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, Did he give her a heads up and just say, hey, hang on for a little bit here because uh, she's going to kick it? I don't know exactly what the situation was. Mm. Uh, he doesn't strike me as a hang on for me, she's going to kick it kind of guy. That's true. But uh, so after that, he wrote a few plays and had a few kids. Uh, he was also an amateur boxer. And in 1909, he was invited to referee the James Jeffries Jack Johnson heavyweight championship no. fight in Reno, Nevada. No kidding. Yeah. He wasn't able to. He had prior uh, engagements that he was oh, unable wow. to. Wow. I just watched that uh, Ken Burns documentary on that fight, Unforgivable Blackness. Oh, really? Very interesting. Very interesting. All right. So Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was not just interested in solving cases in books. He took an interest in real cases. One such example was the case of George Edelgy, who, thanks to Doyle's efforts in 1907, was exonerated for charges of sending threatening letters and mutilating animals. He was not guilty, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle got him off. Wait, Mm. no, that's not a good way to put it. Um when you're talking about somebody that's been in jail for 19 years. Arthur Conan Doyle helped release him. No, that's not good either. Um, I mean, I'm sure after 19 years, hey. You you know what I'm saying. Go ahead. Also a keen golfer, around this time, (laughs) Doyle was elected captain to the Crowborough Beacon Golf Club in Sussex. People must have hated this guy by then. Like, oh, not Doyle, Conan Doyle again. So as soon as World War I broke out, Conan Doyle, then at 55, offered to enlist again. He was denied his wish again, but set out to organize a civilian battalion of over 100 volunteers. Fine. You won't have me? I'll make my own army. He was really concerned with saving the lives of soldiers, and so he was suggesting to the war office to provide inflatable rubber belts and inflatable lifeboats that they could take with them when they had to fight near water. He also spoke of body armor to protect soldiers on the front. Most government officials found him very irritating at best. But one exception was Winston Churchill, who wrote to thank him for his ideas. Oh, my goodness. The war, though, was very hard on Arthur Conan Doyle. He lost a son, his brother, his two brothers-in-law, and two nephews. Now, Arthur Conan Doyle, you might know this, was buds with Harry Houdini. This I did not know (laughs) either. Well, the friendship didn't last for very long. They were both very involved in the spiritualism movement. Sure. And it was kind of weird that they were friends, actually, because Conan Doyle believed that Houdini was not just a very skilled escapist, uh, but actually someone who possessed magical powers. Oh. Now, Houdini was on a crusade to show that spiritualism and magic were based on trickery. So it's kind of weird that the magician is all like, no, no. It's like, hoo, 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 right? And the author's like, no, I'm pretty sure it's magic. <laughs> <laughs> 
Arthur Conan Doyle is said to have spent a million dollars promoting validation that fairies exist. He wrote a book about it called The Coming of the Fairies, published in 1921, and that addressed their supposed authenticity. I need to read that. Not long after this, uh, the author campaigned for Oscar Slater, who was a man convicted of killing Marion Gilchrist in Glasgow. In 1927, when the case was taken to the newly formed Scottish Court of Appeal, Oscar Slater's conviction was squashed, and he was released from prison after 19 years. Wow. Now, around this point in time, the world was not captivated, as I believe the entire world is currently, with dinosaurs. But Sir Arthur Conan Doyle thought they were interesting, and so he wrote The Lost World, bringing dinosaurs back into mainstream consciousness. The book became highly influential and inspired, of course, like the story of King Kong and, you know, every other dinosaur story, because everyone else was kind of like, um, we don't care. <laughs> I love that book. I read that recently, like it meant to me three or four years ago. The Lost World? Yeah. And it's one of those turn-of-the-century British explorers throwing on his pith helmet and Mm -hmm. dashing across the globe to explore things kind of book. I loved it. Yeah. It was very Jurassic Park-y. It was part of a series, right? That I'm not sure. I think Pith Helmet Guy was in several books. Oh, well, I just read that one. Okay, well, you should read the others and then tell me about them while you rub my head. It's very hard for me to read when you want me to rub your head. Because I need both hands to hold my Kindle. Get a stand. We've discussed this. Because then I have to, like, when I have to flip the page over, I have to pull my arm out from around your head and then flip the page over. See, if we created some sort of a system where, like, maybe we get some of those eye hooks and put them in the ceiling, Mm -hmm. and then some fishing line can come down from the ceiling into sort of a cradle for your your Kindle. Mm -hmm. And so it can hang from the ceiling and you can read while... You scritch my head. A suspended Kindle cradle. Yes. That's not a bad idea. A head-scritching Kindle cradle. A suspended... Suspended head-scritching Kindle Kindle cradle. cradle. That's another one of your many great ideas. I have so many. Mm -hmm. She wakes me up in the middle of the night (laughs) with invention ideas. I do have a lot of inventions, yes. And it's important that you know about them. At 2.30. 2 Also, my jokes... I need you to know my jokes in the, in the midnight times <laughs> because. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, uh, Conan Doyle was diagnosed with angina and he spent the last years of his life uh, not abiding by any doctor's orders. He was part of a ghost club. He went on a psychic tour to Holland, Denmark, Sweden, and Norway. Mm -hmm. But he was in such pain by the time that he returned home that he actually had to be carried ashore. And he was bedridden from that point on in his life until 1930. He rose from his bed unseen and went out into the garden. And when he was found, he was lying on the ground, one hand clutching his heart and the other holding a single white snowdrop. A flower. A flower. So his family all came out, and he was obviously going. Um, He said that he was departing for the greatest and most glorious adventure of all. He then addressed his wife and whispered, you are wonderful. And then he died? Yep. Oh, my God. He even wrote the perfect ending to his life. Yeah, yeah. 
Holy crap. Uh, when I tell you that when I read his last words were to his wife and just said, you are wonderful, like instant tears. Mm. I just... And you can't even be bothered to build a suspended head-scritching Kindle cradle. <laughs> I'm on it. I'm working on it right now. <laughs> anyway, that's the story of Can You Fucking Believe It, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> and what a lovely telling of the tale it was. Oh, thank you. I would hope that uh, Conan Doyle would appreciate it, but I think there were probably a few more fucks in there than he would have liked. Really? You don't think that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was a fuck guy? I mean, allegedly for nine years in between, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> and he did get that one prisoner off. <laughs> anyway, I need to take a break from all of these mind-bending facts and just reflect for a moment on the idea that we've done 300 episodes. That's 600 stories. Y'all, thank you so, so much for making this something that we are excited to do and love to do and love sharing with you and you make it like it's worthwhile. I mean, if it weren't for you guys, we would have been like eight episodes in and I would have been all, I think we've had enough. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It is. <laughs> but, but it is so much fun to, to, to put together an episode and then release it and then immediately get comments and emails from all over the world from people who said, hey. My grandmother was on the Titanic. Exactly. <laughs> or, what? Or my mother was the chick in the Ted Bundy car. I'm related to the Iceman. I love this. It is amazing. The people that we've been connected to because of this and because the world is amazing and you're amazing. And I just can't. I am overwhelmed with the support that we receive and how much fun you guys make this. So when I say we look forward to seeing you next time, please know we really mean it. It's true. And until then, keep flying that freak flag. And fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you and its fate is in your hands. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com On Facebook at Facebook.com slash BoxOfOdditiesPodcast On Twitter at BoxOfOddities And Instagram at BoxOfOdditiesPodcast Copyright 2021. All rights reserved. Episode 300. <laughs> can I do that one bit different? Can I can I do a play do play, do a little bit of playing? Episode 300. Wow. Episode 300. Shit, that's a lot of episodes. Episode 300. I didn't think they were going to make it this far. Hello everyone, Stakuyi here, and I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. 
Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast.